this text was at the core of a class that I took. So I got to go back and tell you a little bit about about it. So um, Dallas Willard uh, is a mentor of mine. He has passed on, but uh, he was one of the most brilliant Christians and philosophers of our day. He was a professor of philosophy at USC, uh, chaired the department, just brilliant man. And he brought all of that to bear on faith. And I was able to understand my Christian faith so well through his teachings. And uh, it was because of his mentoring and, and, and discipleship in my life that I actually moved into seminary and went to Fuller. And I was in my master's program while I was with him and studying his materials. And he taught one class at Fuller, one class a year, because he was a full-time professor at USC. So, but he would do one class, and it was a doctoral course. But I thought, well, I'm, I'm a friend of Dallas. You know, uh, I, I, he'll get me in. Nope, I could not get in. I, I, I said, I'll carry your books for you. Nope, you cannot get in. This is for doctoral students only. About 10 years go by, and I'm finally in the doctoral program, and I got to go to his class. It was fabulous. And one of the most rewarding things for me was uh, the class is filled with missionaries and pastors who have been in ministry, like, as for me, like me, 10 years, some 20 years. And about 30 took the class, and 29 of them had their jaws drop. And as he taught, and they, they said the same thing I said when I first heard him. Why is anything else being taught until we understand this in the church? Because this is the message of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel. It's how do we do this? I was, I was struggling in my faith. How do I become a faithful Christian? How do I take everything I'm learning in church and and let it fill me and, and be changed. And he had the answer. Whew, it was fabulous. And so we got to this class, and on the first day, one of the first things he said was, your first assignment is to memorize Colossians 3, 1 to 17. How about that? That I mean, that's pretty significant. And... and uh, you know, I, these missionaries and pastors, all of us, we're, we're like you. Probably the last thing many of us memorized was the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and we did that because we said it every day, right? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but memorization doesn't come easy, but um, that's what he wanted us to do. And it became clear that Colossians 3, 1 to 17, was at the core of the message of Christ. It is the gospel because it tells us this, we learn to be with Christ, so we begin to resemble Christ and ultimately love like Christ. Now, isn't that the gospel? Isn't that actually a definition of Christianity? We use little phrases like, accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Yeah, okay, I did that. Uh, what, what else? What else? Uh, here's what else. Learn to be with Christ so that you can resemble Christ, so that you can ultimately love like Christ. Because Jesus said, greater commandment, love one another. That's our call. And Colossians 3 helps us do that. 
So listen to Colossians 3, and I'm going to read all 17 verses. We're just going to work on the first few. Um, If you have this, if you have a bulletin, you'll find a bookmark. I would love for you to hold on to this. This has the 17 verses broken into the nine readings that we will do over the next nine weeks. Uh, And so we'll walk through it and listen to all of this and see if you don't begin to hear ways that we will learn to be with Jesus, ways we will begin to resemble Jesus so that we can ultimately love like Jesus. Those three things. Let's see if we hear them in this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? 17 verses packed with power. It's the, if you had no other text but that, you could be a follower of Jesus. And there are three elements that Dallas says we need in order to uh, begin to grow in our faith. If we are going to grow in faith, if we are going to resemble Jesus and love like Jesus, it will be because there are three pillars, three elements uh, that we have in our lives. And uh, he describes it, or I would describe it as uh, three legs of a three-legged stool. You need all three. And they are going to be the points today. The first leg is this, heart training. Heart training. It says in verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So I love this, I love verse 1. Verse 1 throws us into the story the way an action movie starts right in the middle of an action scene, right? I mean, that's how they all start now. They don't, there's no buildup. It's like, boom, you are in the middle of something, and you're like, what's going on? 
That's what's happening here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Since when? <laughs> what? And so if you go back to Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2, what you begin to see is that Paul has set a foundation. This is who Jesus is. This is who we are. This is who we are in Jesus. He lived. He died. He rose again. We have come into life in Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Here we go. That's all foundational. All of that stuff. We're going to assume that. And now here's how we're going to grow. And he begins that way. Um, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Start doing this. Now, seeking, uh, setting our hearts on things above means this. It means to think, to seek after, to strive for, to be intent on achieving God-oriented things. To, to strive after, to be intent about achieving God-oriented things. Okay, that sounds pretty good. I don't know. But I don't know if that makes sense to you. But let me tell you how we understand what setting your hearts on things above, how we under, can understand that. We all understand this phrase, oh, he's got his heart set on uh, a new boat, <laughs> right? Oh, she's got her heart set on something. And we know what that means. They're all about it. They get out of their way because they are going to do it, right? He's got his heart set on it. That's what this means. Have your heart set on things above. So uh, in my family, uh, one of the examples of setting, having your heart set on something was uh, a little girl who was, uh, this is in elementary school, and uh, one of my girls was in elementary school, and one of her girlfriends, this is in San Diego, had her heart set on being an Olympic ice skater. Ice skating in the Winter Olympics, and we lived in San Diego. There's no ice in San Diego. Uh, I think there's an ice rink, but an awful lot of what goes on in Olympic skating is actually in L.A. an area. So, but she had her heart set on being an Olympic ice skater. Well, you know what parents do when, people have, when kids have their hearts set on something? They try to help them. I mean, they, 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 they try to help, help them achieve their dreams. And so this little girl's life revolved around her ice skating. Who else's life revolved around it? Yeah, mom, dad, and the siblings. Everybody's schedules rearranged. They took their vacations to places that had Olympic ice skating. They, she had trainers and coaches. Everything about her school life had to revolve around it. Why? Because she had her heart set on. That's what it means. Have your heart set on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You have your heart set on things that where you already know God's involved. God, Jesus is there. This is what he wants for us. Let's set our hearts on those kinds of things. Um, it, and what that's going to mean is our day-to-day -day lives change. Our schedules change. Um, our, our school, our work, our vacations. A heart set on Christ um, will rearrange our lives. And it will rearrange the lives of those around us. But so does anything. If, we, if you get your heart set on a boat, which my dad did years and years ago, uh, we were going to have a, a fishing boat. And my mom said that our boys can ski behind. Right? So she got her heart in there too. 
Well, where'd we all go on vacation every year? Lakes, to the lake. And it had to be towable. And, it had to, and then it had to have fit. You get your heart set on something, it's rearranging your life. But in a good way. And that's what, they, that's what Paul is saying to us here. Um, it is not just about prayer walks in the woods. You know, those people with their hearts set on God, they're just like, oh, I just think about God all the time. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's life. We got to figure out life arranged around setting our hearts on things above, which leads to um, our next step. Here's what you can do. It's not complicated. Open your heart to God every morning. Open your heart to God every morning. Meaning, in some way, shape, or form, you say, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm opening my heart to you today. I, I want to set my heart on things above. Would you help me to do that? Point out those places that I should be setting my sights on that are above, that is where Christ is seated. I don't know what mornings look like for you. It's going to look different for all of us. For some of us, it's daily devotionals and prayers and reading our scripture. But for others, it's going to be while we're going through the drive-thru at Starbucks, late. And, and you know, while we're waiting for the cup, we're like, Lord, please help my heart be uh, on you and don't let this spill when I get it. Uh, you know, whatever it is... Whatever it looks like for you, it's a practical next step to open your heart to God each morning, and uh, which is a perfect lead-in to our second point, the second leg of our stool, which is this. Ordinary life is our gym. Ordinary life is our gym. I love this picture because here's this woman. She's obviously a runner. She's obviously exercising. She's practicing. She's working. And what's she come up against? Oh my gosh, the tallest stairs you could ever imagine. And, uh, and, you know, I would look at that and go, sheesh, really? Is there a side? Can we go around? Is there an elevator? But not somebody who's got their heart set on exercise. They're like, yes, I got a challenge. I am going up this. And if I don't get up it today, I'll get it up tomorrow or the, the next day. Ordinary life is our gym. It's the things that we face. It's the line in Starbucks that's going to make us late. Uh, how are we going to react to that? It's an exercise. It's practice. Um, Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So that's what we're doing when we use life as our gym. We set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, what are earthly things? Well, you know, there's a phrase... Uh, that goes, uh, well, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? No? Good. I don't, I don't like it either. Uh, forget I said it. Um, but what that used to mean was, you know, oh, well, all they ever do is talk about Jesus. All they ever do is think about Jesus, and, which is not bad. But we don't have that luxury. We've got plenty in our lives. There's plenty going on. The point is not to forget about politics, to forget about education, to forget about the things that are going on in life. No, those are, the, those are important things. God gave us minds to be focused on, engaged with all of that. Those aren't the earthly things. The earthly things are those things that hold us back, that hold us down. Having our minds set on things above means paying attention and being guided by godly intentions and attitudes rather than by fallen human ones. You know the human intentions and attitudes. Um, 
And we will get a clearer picture of this next week. You already got a glimpse of it as we read the text. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, and then it starts a list. Yeah, we get it. We know what this stuff is. It's that stuff that drags us down, that leads us to selfishness, that, that is lust and all the negative sides, the dark shadow side of all of our positive virtues. That's what is the earthly thing. Um, and what we can do with our Christian faith is to say, oh, I can't think about anything else. All I can do is this. It's, and what happens is our Christian faith gets narrowed. It's like, oh, I got to push all that stuff aside, not just sin, but I can't, I, I, you know, anything that goes against what I already know is true, that gets narrower and narrower. Only this is Christian. Only this is following Jesus. And I'm like, do you not know how big God is? I mean, climb a mountain. And we look around and we see everything and it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, it's all God. And if we stand there long enough, the stars come out and we look up and we go, God's created all of this. He's beyond all of this. We can think as big and wide as we want and God is part of all of that. But here's, here's what it means to set your minds on things above. It's because with all of the beauty, with all of the science, with all of the majesty that we have to look at, we stand on mountaintops and we look at our shoes, and we, and we look at the mud on our shoes, and we go, golly, shoot. Oh. And we get, you know, feel sorry for ourselves that we got, no, no, no. Get your eyes up out of the gutter, right? Do you remember that? Get your mind out of the gutter. That's what this means. With all the things that we can think on, we focus on so much pettiness, littleness, things that, that separate us from one another, that isolate us. He says, get, it, get your mind out of that. Um, here's, here's an example of narrowing and focusing on the too little thing. And every parent who's ever gone on a road trip with kids knows this one. All right? So if we're going to leave from here, which way are we going? That way. And we're going to run into the Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, Page, Utah with the lake. I mean, and it's glorious. Oh, my gosh. We could go north to Yosemite. And, and further to Washington, and, and we take our kids, and we show them everything, and we go to the visitor center, and we show them the movies, and we have them review things, and we look at everything, and, and after two weeks of this, we head home, and we all say, what was your favorite part of the trip? And what do they invariably say? The, the hotel pool, right? And McDonald's. The, we didn't have to go anywhere. We could have stopped at the Ramada Inn in Northridge and just had the time of our lives. But what are we trying to do with them? Expand them. Let them see the greater part. And, and we want to see more ourselves. Don't, don't, don't avoid the gloriousness of God and just focus on all the tiny little stuff. I love that there are Christian astrophysicists, brain surgeons, philosophy professors, politicians, teachers, lawyers, hundreds and thousands more who spend their lives focused on all this amazing stuff. That's not the earthly stuff we take our minds off of. But every one of them, just like every one of us, can stumble over the things of earth that have no part of God. Attitudes, desires, prejudices, selfishness. No one is immune. Um, and the author, Paul, says don't do that. 
set our minds on things above, which means that ordinary life is our gym. It's all of those things that can get in our way, that can drag us down. Uh, those, that's where we battle for Christ-likeness. Um, so I, I, I faced this myself. So once, years ago, uh, I was shopping at Nordstrom Rack in, in Canoga Park, wherever it was, and uh, I bought three pairs of pants. I got home and I had four. Uh, so now what do I do? I got home. I wasn't even in the parking lot. Now I'm home. And it's like, oh, great. Now, <clears throat> you know, I'm pretty sure Nordstrom Rack can afford the pants more than I can. You know, the, the, and besides, I didn't steal them. I had them right there. It wasn't my fault. It was the cashier's fault. She didn't register it. So do I have to take them back? I did. I took them back. Now, <clears throat> not because, you know, Jesus said I should take them back. I, I took them back, I'll be honest with you, because I already know myself. I would feel guilty every time I wore those pants. I would, it, this, this would, it would, it would cloud my mind. It would fill my mind. Every time I put these pants on, I'm like, I didn't buy those. And, and Carolyn would have said, you didn't buy those. Ah. <laughs> So I took them back. But here's the other thing about it. When I took them back, I took them back and I said, I want to return these. I, I bought three and I got four. I didn't pay for this one. And she said, do you have a receipt? I'm like, no, I didn't pay for them. She said, so you just want to return them? Yeah. Okay, thanks. I'm like, that's it? I don't get like customer of the year award? I don't get, I mean, I didn't have to bring them back. Right? We want some award for it. No. It's the gym. It's, it's the place where we get to exercise our faith. I grew in my Christ-likeness because of that. Um, it, it, it's the place of work. So uh, the mind is so complicated, it needs a lot of work to set our minds on things above. Sometimes we think we're setting our minds on things above, Christly things, when actually it's just wallowing in the mud of our own, our own selfness. Uh, and uh, when actually we may be exercising our earthly thoughts. So I'm going to give you an example. Uh, and forgive uh, all the Bobs in the room, please forgive me. Bob is such a, you know, Bob Smith. But anyway, so Bob Smith, uh, he is a Christian. And he has read scripture, and he understands that according to scripture, we should obey the laws of the land. And so Bob practices that intentionally trying to express his faith by driving 65 in the fast lane, religiously, intentionally, all the time. And, uh, and people pull up behind him, honk, flash their lights, and then they pull around and they zoom up and they get in front of him. And invariably, there's a long line of cars behind him and clear sailing in front of him. And Bob believes this is Christian to do. And, um, and he's even written to his pastor and said, you ought to preach on this. And he gave him the text, Romans 13, 1 and 2. Obey the government, for God is the one who has put it there. There is no government anywhere that God is not placed in power. So those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God. He's, Bob's on pretty strong ground, right? Now, when he brings this up at Bible study that he goes to every week, 
Everybody rolls their eyes. Oh, God. Bob, we know. I mean, right? Because this is his pet thing. This is, he's all about this. And uh, he thinks everybody should drive 65. In fact, good Christians especially should drive 65. He wears a button that says, drive 65. And somebody, um, uh, somebody once asked Bob, well, how does it make you feel when people honk at you or pass you? And you could tell he was getting angry already. And his face was going red. And, and it made him upset. Uh, and um, in fact, Bob was angry just having them question him about it, even though he's the one who always brought it up. So he insisted he was only obeying the word of God and that others should do as well. Uh, so if ordinary life is our gym, what might Bob do to test, to see if he is, if driving and doing this practice is setting his mind on things above or things below? This would be a good case study. You could talk about it because we should, we should have places in our life, we all have places in our life that frustrate us, that challenge us, or that we feel self-righteous about, that we feel like, well, this is what I need to be doing, and you ought to allow me to do this, and I'm going to, right? And you all ought to do it too. We all kind of get into that. I, I hope you can feel, we've all certainly been the people behind Bob, but I want us to recognize we've also been Bob. Here's something Bob could do. And one of his gracious Bible study companions might be able to say, Bob, have you ever thought about driving 65, following Scripture, but pulling over two lanes so that others can do whatever they want? Bob, are you in charge of everyone? Or are you just in charge of yourself? Well, I'm going to guess some Bobs would be like, they won't admit it right away, but it's about control. It's about, it's about, I'm angry that others get to get away with things that I don't get away with, and so I'm going to stop them. I mean, who knows? Can you imagine the richness of the process? That's so different than sitting in church and reading a text and praying and going home. That is wrestling with it. That's a deep version of me saying, do I take the pants back or do I not? It's an exercise. Ordinary life is going to provide exercise equipment and weights for us every single day. And uh, it's complicated. Uh, and so uh, here is a simple next step for you. Um, because uh, we want to know, does, does doing this uh, give us peace, happiness, and a sense of loving another person? Or are we getting angry, judgmental, frustrated? That would help us begin to see if this is really setting our minds on things above or not. So here's your next step. Keep a journal for the next nine weeks during this entire series. Eh, if you can't do that, start with nine days. Um, or tomorrow. But try this. Capturing life events under two headings, uplifting and challenging. You just have a sheet of paper, and tonight or tomorrow after work, on your way, when you get home, before you go to bed, you just write down the things that happen. Not everything, but the things that come to mind. Oh yeah, I remember. I walked in and there he was at work, or there she was, or there was that pile of work on my desk. Whatever it is, and now you go, do I list it under uplifting or under challenging? And Look at the challenging ones and go, how can I use this 
in the ordinary life gym that God has put in my life to strengthen my heart and mind, to help me become more like Christ. It's a little frightening to realize that we all have a little bit of Bob in us, uh, and we all have areas where we think we are golden. I have got this. Uh, or we think that they are signs of strong faith when actually they may lead our hearts and minds to focus on things of earth rather than things above. And so we need the third leg of the chair. Uh, any growth in Christ-likeness is always empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3, 3-4 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I love this picture because it shows the person exercising. That's what we've been talking about. Uh, but superimposed over it is the person praying. Because we cannot do this without Christ. We cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, I, I can't remember their names. There were two people who said, we can actually become like God without God's help. Who was that again? Oh yeah, Adam and Eve. Right? They said we can become like God and we don't need God to do it. Oh, that didn't work out so well. Right? That's like us. We, we cannot become Christ-like without Christ. We cannot, we cannot seek to be near Christ to become like Christ so to be able to love like Christ without him empowering us with his Holy Spirit. Uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit means to be given the means to grow in our faith. The means to grow. We can do stuff. It, it's like protein powder. You know, protein shakes or whatever we get when we exercise. Or maybe it's electrolytes. I don't know which one it is. But anyway, you know, it's that they always say, you got to have this. You know, you can do the exercise. But if you really want it to strengthen you, you got to add this. Yeah, we got to add the Holy Spirit. So I love Tony... Um, uh, this pastor's, uh, Tony Evans, uh, pastor, and he says this, the Holy Spirit's job is to empower us Christians to progress in our spiritual lives. Far too many Christians find themselves on a spiritual treadmill. They're working up a sweat with religious activity, but remain in the same place spiritually. Wow. I think that has been me on any number of occasions. Um, so whether our efforts to follow Jesus lead us to strive to obey the law by driving the speed limit or understand the fundamental nature of the universe by studying space, what we learn must be inspired by the living Word of God, Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, the old-fashioned term is we need to be quickened, made alive by the power of God. Um, and, and I have a personal example of this. Um, Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, as I say, one of the smartest men in the 20th century and uh, professor of philosophy at USC. He's written many books, and they're all fabulous. Um, but here's what many people say. Listening or reading Dallas Willard is very difficult. It's deep. It's dense. The unkind people would say it's like watching paint dry. I mean, I mean, he's just, he's dry. And I get it. Um, if you ever quote Dallas Willard, you have to quote him in very short sentences. Because if you try to quote a paragraph, you're just like, what, what, what does that mean? But it's great to meditate on it. I love it. But here's, here's I get it. 
I get it. It's as if God said, um, you know what, I, I think we're going to use Dallas in Neil's life. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, you better give him the Holy Spirit then because <laughs> that guy's not going to get it. And I do. And I'll tell you why I, I say it like that. I don't get C.S. Lewis. I can't read C.S. Lewis. He's so, now, I do understand that somebody used to be here who... <laughs> right? And praise God for that. I, I love that, that, that people have C.S. Lewis as a spiritual mentor. But it, if, if it isn't, uh, you know, screw tape letters... Uh, you know, I, it's just like, I, I can't understand. I have to read it over and over and, and plow through it. Uh, and, but with Dallas, it's like fresh water pouring over me. It's like drinking it in. And I love it. And so many other people say, I can't read him. And I go, I understand. Thank God the Holy Spirit has, has given me the power to understand it. I just, I just love it. And um, so I, I offer you Dallas... Um, there's actually, literally, there's a book by John Ortberg. We'll talk more about all of this. But there's a book called The Life You've Always Wanted. And it's in the preface, uh, John Ortberg says, this is Dallas for dummies. <laughs> because he explains what Dallas, we need it. Um, but that's, we need to have the Holy Spirit empowering us. So we have our three legs uh, of the three-legged stool. We need heart training that we get from our ordinary life, lived in a spiritual gym, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are on this journey together. I want you to know that. I am working on this myself. Uh, and uh, I have taught this for a long time. I've studied it for longer. I try to understand it, this message of the kingdom of God in our own lives. And I was teaching the class once, and I was telling them, we're on a journey together. We're all learning this together. And somebody raised their hand, and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't you Yoda? Aren't you supposed to be the one who knows how to do all this stuff and now you're just training us? And I go, eh, I know Yoda. I know Yoda. If, at best, I'm an Indiana Jones. I, I, I got an idea and I can dodge the pitfalls, but I got to walk it just like everybody else. And we get to walk it together. We're all in this gym together. So I dare not stray far from the path of Dallas Willard or I will get lost in the weeds. And so I'm going to give you the final next step is the one that he gave us in that class. Next step, fill yourself with Colossians 3. Read it, memorize it, pray each phrase of it. It's why we've given you this bookmark. Um, I have memorized this whole thing. I've also forgotten it, but I did memorize it. And I'm going to memorize it again. It's power. It is the power of God, the living word of God, off the page into our hearts. It's amazing how scripture in us uh, comes alive. Uh, and so I'm going to encourage you, though, uh, to read it, to, to pray it, uh, to put your name in it and pray it for yourself. And if possible, we'll memorize it together. Heart training uh, using ordinary life as our spiritual gym with the help of the Holy Spirit, the three legs of the tool to learn to be with Christ so we can resemble Christ and ultimately love like Christ. Since then, you have been raised to new life. 
Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, uh, who is God, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's one through four, and I kind of messed it up. But, but I, love that it, I love that it's in there. I hope you get it into you as well.